Brother Howard and these other sponsors. And uh, this meeting is serving such a tremendous purpose. What a gathering place for men of like precious faith. And I'm so thankful to uh, be here. I pray that the Lord will help me tonight. I truly need his help. God can help me to add a little something uh, to this meeting. Looking forward uh, to hearing these other men preach. And uh, I believe the Lord's going to do some wonderful things. Hallelujah. How many is going to help me tonight preach the word of the Lord? How many is hungry tonight? Glory to the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm going to go ahead and get into the word of the Lord tonight. The book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, verse 1. Again, I appreciate so much men that will uh, make the sacrifice to provide such a meeting. Brother Howard's been such a tremendous friend and influence in my life over the years. Years ago preaching revivals here in Tulsa. Thank God for him. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech ye, or beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of of peace. Paul said, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. How many is thankful tonight God called you one day? Hallelujah. I'm looking in the faces of a bunch of privileged, blessed people here tonight that God has called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Hallelujah. I'm glad I'm in the church. I bettered myself when I got in the church. Hallelujah. I stepped up to get in the church. Didn't step down to get in the church. Hallelujah. It wasn't a sacrifice to get in the church. Hallelujah. But God has been good to each and every one of us to allow us to be a part of this great fellowship. 1 Kings chapter 2. And verse 28, 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 28. I have not seemed to be able to get away from what I'm going to endeavor to preach to you tonight. And I pray that the Lord will anoint it to every heart here. 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 28. Then tidings came to Joab, for Joab had turned after Adonijah, though he turned not after Absalom. And Joab fled into the tabernacle of the Lord and caught hold on the horns of the altar. If you read the rest of the story, you'll find out that King Solomon sent a man to go to the temple and to slay Joab for his sin. Joab refused to come out of the house of God. The man didn't know what to do, so he went back to King Solomon. And King Solomon told Benai, well, just go ahead, go to the altar where he's at and slay him at the altar. And the Bible tells us that this man died at the altar of God, at a place that is usually a place of mercy. He died at the altar. I want you to notice one statement. Then tidings came to Joab, for Joab had turned after Adonijah, though he turned not after Absalom. And I want to talk to you tonight for a little while from this subject, the tragedy of the dishonored calling, the tragedy 
of the dishonored calling. Walk worthy of the vocation that you have been called unto. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We ask you to anoint our hearts tonight. I pray, God, on this first night of our conference that your will would be accomplished in this place. We need you so much. Hide me behind the cross of Calvary tonight as I endeavor to preach your precious anointed word. Let me preach it, God, with the spirit and anointing that it is given in. In Jesus' name, we believe you and we pray. Let's lift our hands one more time. Praise him before we're seated tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. Glory to the name of the Lord. Glory to the name of the Lord. Glory to the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. In the name of the Lord Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus. You may be seated tonight. The greatest day in the life of an individual is the day when God comes and turns the lights on. When a man receives a revelation of what life is all about, when a man catches on to the punchline of life, when a man's life is illuminated and God shows man his purpose and his plan for his life, when a man gets a revelation of the truth, not just a truth, but the truth, hallelujah. I remember years ago, I'm not that old, but in Pentecost, People used to stand up a little more often, it seems, than now and used to testify about, thank God for the truth. Hallelujah. And when they said the truth, they said it with conviction. They did not have to explain what they were talking about. Hallelujah. You realize that they had a revelation of this Acts 2.38 message. They realized that it wasn't just the church of the choice that they had gotten in. It wasn't just a gospel that they had received a revelation of, but they said, I thank God for the truth. I suppose we have more people now that's raised in Pentecost than at that time, and a lot of folks came out of false doctrine. They came out of churches that they had been raised in, and sometimes parents fought against them and family members fought against them. And when their lives was enlightened and they heard the call of God in their life, and many of them that thought at one time they were saved and found out they were lost and, and got this powerful Holy Ghost experience in their life, and it was something that burned in them. Hallelujah. And they like to talk about, thank God for the truth. I wonder if there's some people here tonight that are still excited about the truth. How many is glad you still know that there's one God and his name is Jesus? A man must be born again of the water and of the Spirit or he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. The greatest moment of life is when a man is illuminated with truth. I suppose one of the saddest things that can happen in a man's life is for him to live his whole life and never catch on to what life is all about. You see, the sinner has a false impression of values. The man that lives without God is a man that puts the highest price tags of life on houses and lands and materials and beauties and wealth and securities. A man that lives without God is a man that reduces the value of his soul to nothing more than possibly a job or a sport or a human relationship or a pleasure, whatever it is that he gives his life to. And for that man to live outside of God's purpose, there is no eternal essence for that man and his life. The man that lives according to his own will and idea, there is no everlasting significance. And it doesn't matter the accolades that the world may put behind his name. or It doesn't matter how the world says that he may be successful. When a man dies outside of God's calling, the tide of life bears his soul out to sea, and it's over with, and it's as if he has never lived. But oh, what a happy day in the lives 
of people that's in this auditorium tonight. Hallelujah. Thank God for men and women that have received a heavenly vision as the Apostle Paul talked about it. And they have not been disobedient to that heavenly vision. As God said in the beginning, let there be light, and there was light. When God begins to illuminate the life and the mind of a man, and he begins to pursue after God's purpose and will for his life, that man type taps into the eternal plan and purpose of God Almighty. What a miracle when deity touches humanity and eternity feels the effect. There's nothing more wonderful in the life of a man than for him to receive the noble calling of God in his life. I want to tell you, we got something to have church about tonight. We've got something to be excited about tonight. We didn't sign a card and shake a preacher's hand when we got in this church. But God called us out of darkness into this beautiful light. Oh, that's the reason we get so happy. That's the reason we clap our hands. That's the reason sometimes we cannot contain ourselves. Because God has given us a heavenly calling. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Our life is linked into the eternal purpose and plan of God Almighty. I read in your hearing tonight of a man by the name of Joab. He was a man that early in life received a revelation of God's purpose and plan for his life. I'm not here to imply that he had balance on everything or he understood everything. But I want to tell you this man, Joab, recognized before much of Israel that there was an anointing upon a shepherd boy by the name of David. He recognized that there was a kingdom in the making. He recognized there was an empire in the making. He realized that God was on the move and some great things were in the process of taking place. And so here is a man that joined himself in the early days of David's life in helping support him and bring about the coming of a great nation. To give you just a little background of Joab, you will remember that he was uh, the warlike follower of King David the first part of his life. He was the commander-in-chief of David's army. He was the marshal of his forces. He was the organizer of his victories. He was a man that was essentially loyal to David. I suppose the most noble characteristic of the life of this man Joab is that he was a defender of God's anointed king and kingdom. In the time of battle, we find this man always in the forefront. It was an hour of great men and mighty men. It was an hour that had produced giants in the land. And uh, we read of the mighty men of David, men like Jehoshaphat, who the Bible says, with nothing more than a spear in his hand, went against 300 soldiers, went against the whole army. He took the sword or the spear and he fought. And when it was all said and done, he was left with 300 dead in the valley. Another one of the mighty men of David was a man by the name of Eliezer, that the enemy had surrounded him. It was time to throw up the white flag and surrender. But Eliezer continued to swing the sword, and the heads rolled and the blood ran, until in the evening time it left him with a valley full of corpses. He had held the sword so long and so tight that the Bible says they had to pry his fingers off the handle of the sword. Men like Ben and I who slew a lion in a pit on a snowy day. But when you begin to read of all the great events in these men's lives and what they did, the greatest of the greatest, the most furious of the furious, was this man by the name of Joab. Joab was the captain of the host. He was a great man of war. Here is a man that had come to understand his place in God's economy. Here is a man that had been enlightened with eternity's noble idea for his life. Never was Joab more loyal to David and to his calling than when David's authority and throne was challenged by Absalom. Absalom, that uh, young man that wooed the hearts of Israel to him. But we find that while most of Israel was taken captive by the charisma of this smooth-tongued, long-haired rebel, 
that Joab did not give in to the euphoria that swept Israel off her feet. But the Bible says that he stood firm to the convictions and the calling of his life. Anybody that studied this passage of Scripture and this time in Israel will agree with me that Joab's fidelity in this time of David's one, uh, one of his darkest hours did much to assure the security and the ultimate victory of David's throne. He was the man that helped David's feet to the fire about this son and what he was trying to do to the nation of Israel. Yet we find later in David's life that there was another son that rose up in rebellion, a son by the name of Adonijah. It was the same spirit that Absalom had had. It was the same old girl, but just a different dress on. And he comes and he tries to rebel and overthrow the throne. And the Bible tells us that when all the renegades and, and, the, and, and the rebels are announced and, and written in the word of the Lord, and to the surprise of even the Bible itself, we find the name of this man by the name of Joab. Here is a man that had stood firm to standing by his king and defending God's people. Hallelujah, when a great man or a great deceiver by the name of Absalom came on the scene. But when a lesser brother comes, hallelujah, with the same spirit of rebellion, it seems to be an amazing thing that Joab finds himself on the wrong side of God's people. Hallelujah, from that day forward, King David distrusted Joab. And on his dying bed, he told Solomon, if you're going to establish your throne, I want you to take care of Joab. Don't let him die in peace. Well, the Bible tells us that, that Joab, he spoke to Solomon about being loyal and standing by him. But I want everybody in this building to hear me. Rebellion is a sin that is very seldomly uh, successfully dealt with. When iniquity is found in the heart of someone and, and they dishonor the call of God in their life and they rebel against the plan of God and the work of God, very seldom does a man take care of the iniquity in his life. The Bible says where sin abounds, the grace of the Lord does so much more abound. That means where sin is, God's grace and God's saving power is there to save and there to forgive. But I want you to hear me. There's another verse that's very similar to that. The Bible says where iniquity abounds, the love of many wax cold. Iniquity is rebellion against divine authority. And there's something about this sin. It's not just an ordinary sin. But the Bible says that where iniquity has been given birth to, hallelujah, there's backsliding, there's falling away. It's something that's hard to be dealt with. Hallelujah. Just give me a little bit of time tonight. I want to try to preach to you. Hallelujah. I want to give you a background of this tonight. Here's a man that expressed loyalty to Solomon, even though he had already been disloyal to his purpose in life. But again, rebellion rises, and again, Adonijah makes the second bid for the throne. And the Bible tells us, for whatever cause, Joab, in a reckless moment, throws away all of his lasting accumulated character and credit. He joins in the conspiracy, which eventually fails, and, and consequently uh, he meets a tragic death at the altar of God. What a tragic end for someone's life. The Bible, the word of the Lord, seems to sum up the whole story of this man's life. Hallelujah, with this revealing sentence. Hallelujah, Joab had turned after Adonijah, though he turned not after Absalom. In plain English, English what it is saying is he turned, uh, he turned after a lesser, although he did not turn after the greater. He resisted a great temptation in life only to fall to a lesser one. The story of Joab is an illustration of a man that conquered a great temptation in life only to fall later under the power of a lesser one. It is the story of a man that embraced and fashioned his life after a great ideal and calling then to only under challenging circumstances dishonor the calling of his life. It's the illustration of a man who 
failed to resist a plea for his soul, a plea that earlier in life, in more melodious tones, he had turned deaf ears to it. It is the record of a man that destroyed and conquered the line, but was not able to stamp on the adder. The Apostle Paul speaks of this experience of living for God and says the most difficult times of our life is not always when the fiery darts are flying against us and there is a frontal attack of the enemy and we have to take a stand. But he says it's when we have done all, hallelujah, to stand or to continue to stand. The race is not to the swift nor the battle to the strong, but time and chance happen to them all. It's not the individual that starts out in the race. It's not the man that can run the hundred dash the fastest. It's not the individual that can jump the highest the first week that God calls him out of darkness. But it's the man or the woman that makes up in their mind, this is a battle to the finish. This is a race to the finish. Nothing's going to cause me to be disloyal to the calling that God has put in my life. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Romans, the 12th chapter and the 11th verse. Moffat's translation. God, uh, Paul admonishes the Romans to maintain the spiritual glow in their life. It was not that Joab had never been illuminated. He had been illuminated with heaven's light. But he failed to maintain the glow in his life. Somewhere the sacred fires of consecration had gone out on the altar of, uh, of commitment. Hallelujah. Somewhere this man had lived long enough to discredit the call of God in his life. Hallelujah. How many men in our generation are failing as Joab failed? Hallelujah. How many men in our day and time have we seen that have taken valiant stands for truth only to live long enough to dishonor them? I think of my ministry and uh, the men that I have seen arise and walk across the stage of life and, and uh, preach one thing in the early days of their life and only as the sun began to set and to dishonor the message that they preached early in their ministry. And how many tonight in Pentecost are playing with some idea which in times past they would not even consider? Hallelujah. What is it that's happening to some men? And what causes a man to make a flip-flop in his life? And cause him to make total changes in his value system? What happens when a Pentecostal saint of God that's been around the church for years and years all of a sudden decides, I don't believe what I used to believe. I don't believe that it takes this any longer. I believe that I can live a careless, carefree life. I don't have to have the hot convictions and the desires after God that I used to have. Hallelujah, I'm satisfied with a watered-down, lifeless commitment. I'm satisfied with dead church and worldly religion. Hallelujah, I've lost the convictions of the early days of my life. I want to tell you somewhere in a mad moment, conscience is strangled and the voice is silenced and the heart is wrenched away from its commitments to God. And somewhere in people's lives where there is a total overnight seemingly change, there has been a sellout in life and, and that person will never be the same. I was talking to a preacher just today, Brother Godair, and we were talking about churches that, that go whirly and, and preachers that change their message and then they, they come along and they say, I'm, I'm going to bring it back to what it used to be. I want to tell you there is a point where I have never seen some churches ever come back and some preachers ever come back. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I do not believe it's chance that I am preaching what I'm preaching tonight. But I believe that there is someone under the sound of my voice that is at the crossroads of life. You're at the pivot point of life where you're going to decide what kind of saint you're going to be, what kind of preacher you're going to be, what kind of church you're going to be a part of. Hallelujah. We are living in a time right now in some people's lives that you're going to decide whether you're going to renew your commitments and your consecrations of life or forever lose them. 
The Bible says because they received not a love of the truth. God sent them a strong delusion that they believed a lie and they were damned. I want to tell you the truth that God has given us. It's not something that we can be passive about. But there needs to be a passion in our hearts when it comes to this Acts 238 message. When it comes to this holiness message. Thank God for the church tonight. I believe that there are many churches that are at the crossroads right now. Friend, it can't be 150 degrees outside this building and not affect the inside of this building. The climate has been changed in the last few years in our world. People need to decide what kind of church they want to have and what kind of church they want to be a part of. Whether you're going to hold to the old past wherein is the good way or whether you're going to sell out to the shallow, superficial, lackadaisical, leave it, leave us alone attitude of so many Pentecostal churches. Oh, yes, somebody needs to hear me tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We have come to the crossroads. In a sense, we all come to crossroads, and every day of our life, we arrive at crossroads. Every day of our life has got the potential of being the pivot point of our life. Every day offers opportunities for all of us to either stay in position or to defect. Hallelujah, God is looking for some people that's got a made-up mind. Hallelujah, I'm rooted and I'm grounded. Nothing's going to change me. Nothing's going to move me. I got a hold of something a long time ago that took cigarettes out of my pocket and booze out of my belly and dope out of my veins. I'm not looking for a better way. I'm not looking for an easier way. Somebody said we need a new experience. There's nothing wrong with the old experience. You need to renew the Holy Ghost in your life and let God illuminate your mind. Hallelujah, we see illustrations of what I'm trying to preach about tonight all around us in life. We see people in, in our society that defects from high positions of, of loyalty. You look at the politician that runs for an office with a noble idea of bringing integrity and honesty and honor to the position. He recruits a crowd of supporters that give of their money and, and of their time to try to get him elected. But once in office, he begins to feel the pressure of special interest groups and lobbyists and, and uh, people with money and power. And many times the politician sells out and, and becomes disloyal to the principles and the people that put him into office. Look at the businessman that begins his enterprise with high standards of quality and honesty, refusing short-term gains to build a thriving business and only eventually to yield his high principles to, to some uh, limelit opportunity of a quick fortune in a moment's time. Look at the physician that goes to school for years with a noble idea of bringing comfort to the suffering and healing to the sick, only to discredit his oath and and to become a professional killers of babies, an abortionist, to put money in his pocket. All oh, the tragedies of, of people that, uh, that discredit their position in life. But I want to tell you the tragedy of all tragedies is not when this drama of the dishonored calling is played out in the life of a politician or a businessman, hallelujah, or, or anybody else, but when it takes center stage in the realm of religion and God's church, when it's played out in the lives of preachers and saints that God dug them out of sin and gave them hope where there was no hope and gave them life where they were dead in trespass passes of sin, for them to live long enough to discredit this beautiful life of holiness and separation unto God. Hallelujah, God help me to preach tonight. Hallelujah, we've got a generation of Pentecostals that are defecting. We've got a generation of Pentecostals that are becoming dishonest and disloyal when they go to church. Oh yeah, they are. 
Hallelujah. They got a form of godliness, but they're denying the power thereof. And what makes it so sinister so many times is when they are disloyal and when they do defect, it's like a Judas that does it not with a hostile slap in the face, but a kiss on the cheek. It's in the act of devotion. Oh, we got to lower the standards because we want revival, because we love the lost. We can't preach what we used to preach. We don't require of our people what we used to require of them. We found a better way because we love the world and we want to reach the world. And all along on a personal level, hallelujah, sin is creeping into their personal lives. They don't have what they used to have. They've lost the beauty of holiness. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, we got Pentecostal churches that Hollywood is having more influence on them than Jerusalem ever had. Hallelujah, people that are failing to walk worthy of the vocation they were called unto. An hour that the church has got worldly and the world has got churchy. Oh, they like to tell us, oh, it's not important what's on the outside. Man look upon the outward appearance. God look upon the heart. That's a good, that's a good sermon to preach on holiness. Man looks on the outward appearance. There ought to be something for people to look at when they look at an apostolic walking down the road. Hallelujah to God. I said there ought to be something to look at that people recognize. Hallelujah. That's a child of God. Man, look up on the outward appearance. This world is not spiritual. I said this world is not spiritual. They're not going to see the invisible. But I'll tell you what they can see. They can see a man that was an old alcoholic and a drug addict and a, in tattered clothes eating out of a garbage can. And all of a sudden he's got a suit and a tie on. He's got a white shirt on. He's got a smile on his face. I'll tell you what they can see. They can see a woman that was a harlot. Hallelujah. And a drug addict. And God has set her free. And she's got enough clothes on to be and the glory of the Lord is on her countenance. And she looks like she's been raised in the church all her life. We ought to have something that the world can look at and realize there goes a child of God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Well, we're just worldly Pentecostals. That's all we are. Worldly Pentecostals. I want to tell you, a worldly Pentecostal makes as much sense as a heavenly devil. There's no such animal. There's some terms that are not compatible. Just like Christian rock, there's no such thing as Christian rock. Hallelujah. We got too many Pentecostals digging their roots too deep in the world. Oh, yeah. The idea of a heavenly home has lost its luster to them. That's the reason why a bunch of them preaching kingdom now. Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. They're asking God for things, and God's giving it to them, but God's sending leanness to their soul. It don't impress me when somebody prophesies over you, and you get some kind of physical blessing if it causes you to lose your soul. Hallelujah. The old-time Pentecostal used to sing, I feel like traveling on. Hallelujah, this world is not my home. I feel like traveling on. Hallelujah, some of them quit singing that. They ought to be singing, I feel like settling down. Hallelujah, what are you tonight? Are you a settler or a pioneer? Hallelujah, I said, are you a settler or a pioneer? We got too many settlers that are satisfied with what they've got. My God, I hope there's some people here tonight that you've come to this conference. I need God to shake me. I need God to stir me. I don't want to be a settler. I don't want to be satisfied. I want to go places I've never gone. Hallelujah. Oh, I like what I'm feeling here tonight. I like to preach to people like you. Hallelujah. There's two types of people that makes me want to preach. That's people that want me to preach and people that don't want me to preach. But I'm preaching to some folks here tonight that's been called out. You've been sanctified. You've been set apart. 
Hallelujah. When you came to God, you discredited some things in your life or you wouldn't have got God. You had to repent of some things. You had to cut some things off. You had to make up in your mind you wasn't going to do business with the devil. I want to tell you, you don't ever get spiritually mature enough that you can do business with the devil. This ain't no time to be trying to build bridges back to the world, back to the denominator world. We don't have anything to apologize for. We got the truth. We're preaching what Apostle Paul preached and, and what Peter preached and, and what James and John preached. Hallelujah, I'm not going to the charismatics to try to find out what I need to do. Hallelujah, I'm not going to some of the other ones to try to find out how to build a church. There's a difference in a church and a crowd. Some people have a crowd. But I want to tell you, some people have a church. And the only way you can have a church is it's got to, it's got to rally around the cross. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, but I'm preaching to some called out people. Hallelujah, God separated you. You made some changes in your life. You begin to fashion your life after the high principles of this book that I'm preaching out of. Hallelujah, it's not the Ten Suggestions, it's the Ten Commandments. Hallelujah, not, God's not just giving us a bunch of resolutions. And he's telling us how He expects us to live. And hallelujah to God. Hallelujah, the Bible is the final court of appeal in our life. We're not interested in what Ann Landers says or anybody else says. Hallelujah, what does the Bible say? Hallelujah. God called us out. You had to step out of the world to get in the church. He brought you out that he might bring you in. But can I tell you, hell is here to challenge every person in this building tonight. Just because you've made a change, don't you think the devil's given up on you? Don't you think that, friend, it's a picnic from here on out? It's not a picnic, it's a battlefield. Hallelujah, you've got to maintain the change in your life. Jesus said when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh in dry places seeking rest and findeth none. He says, I will return unto my house from which I came out of. There's a challenge that comes from hell against every blood-bought apostolic Pentecostal person in this house tonight. You get comfortable. You get satisfied. You don't think you need a fresh praying through. You are a target of hell. We need to be reaching and grabbing and calling and praying. and oh, We need to be desirous tonight. We need something from God, even in this service tonight. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I remember a few years ago, a young man asked me in a revival. He said, I'd like to get to a place where nothing bothers me anymore. He said, is there a spiritual place where you can get where nothing bothers you anymore? I told him, I said, you can forget about it. You'll never get so spiritual that nothing bothers you anymore. Hallelujah, we can go to church on Sunday night and be so high we feel like we're floating against the rafters that wake up Monday morning and you wonder if you got the Holy Ghost or not. We're not walking by faith or sight, we're walking by faith. But there's no such experience that you can get, hallelujah, where you can just sit back and float the rest of your life and you're never tempted and you never have a battle and you never have a trial. There's a real live devil. He's never going to give up. He's going to fight every preacher, every saint of God, every church until we get out of here. Hallelujah, even the Apostle Paul in Philippians, the third chapter and the 13th verse said, Brethren, hallelujah, I count not myself to have apprehended. What he's saying is I have not arrived. I haven't got to the place that I'm just ultimately, hallelujah, where I'm going to be. But this one thing I do, forgetting the things that are behind me, reaching for the things that are before me. Hallelujah, I press. There's still a battle. I press for the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in my life. I want to tell you no effeminate thing's going to enter there. You can't be a sissy spiritually speaking. We got some churches that have literally feminine spirits. Hallelujah. We got some preachers sometimes that when revival gets moving and the devil gets stirred up, they want to shut down the revival. They're afraid somebody's going to get mad. You can't have a little feminine spirit. Hallelujah. We're in a battle. We're pressing toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God. 
Hallelujah. The temptation to compromise is ever before us. It's ever before us. And I am fearful tonight when I think of preachers that led the way before me, great men that were greater than I would ever be. And some of them have gone the path of compromise. I want to tell you, temptation is forever changing its form, but never its content. Hallelujah. Always changing the advertisement. The old lady in a different dress. And just because we take a stand one day and say no, don't you think that that's going to settle the issue in the devil's mind? He's a good devil. He's on the job. It doesn't matter if you've said no to Absalom a thousand times. Adonijah is on the way. And there's going to be an opportunity for you to go back. The three Hebrew children, the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar built an image and commanded them to bow down and worship the image. Hallelujah. Everybody did it, but they Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the word came to the king of what they had done. This is deep preaching. You ever heard this story? Hallelujah. It came to the king, and the king called them forth and said, Is it true that you didn't bow down to the graven image? And they said, Oh, king, it is true. And the king said, Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you another chance. We're going to play the music one more time. What are you saying? The devil is not satisfied with just you saying no today. He'll be back tomorrow to ask you the same question. He'll be back the next day to ask you the same question. Pentecostal, don't get comfortable living around a Pentecostal church. The devil's still after you. You're not a permanent fixture. you got to keep on reaching. We'll play the music again. Maybe he went back to the musicians and said, let's change the rhythm of this a little bit. Give it a little, give it a little flavor of uh, Israeli music. Make it sound like a little, little tune coming out of the temple of Jerusalem. Kind of mix it all together. The devil is a professional and mixing that that is good with that that is evil. Hallelujah. Make it worse a little easier for them to bow down. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah, the devil knows how to do that. We're going to play the music one more time. And who is the God that's able to deliver you out of our hands? I want to tell you they were pretty polite until he, they, he mentioned their God, stirred their dandruff up. They looked at the king and said, we're not slow to answer you on this matter. In other words, we don't have to call a three-day fast. We don't have to try to call the preacher and ask him what he thinks about it. That's what's wrong with some of you. You don't have it in your gizzards yet. Hallelujah. You need to get it in your heart. Hallelujah. I said you need to get it in your heart. Well, you don't have to ask the pastor. You don't have to call a three-day fast. I made up in my mind a long time ago what I'm going to do. We're not slow to answer you on this matter, O King. Likewise with us, when we have refused to yield to the great Absalom of our life, we've not come to an end of a need for alertness and awareness. For there's a necessity to hold firm the beginning of our confidence, steadfast to the end. For ere long, I want to tell you, Adonijah will come to make his bid, a different bid perhaps, but with the same intent to draw our hearts away from their loyalty to King David's greater uh, king, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. What in the world caused Joab to do what he did? And why did it happen when it happened? Hallelujah. What causes a man that has resisted the hot-blooded temptations of an Absalom in the youth of his life to live long enough to compromise and fall to the lesser temptation of an Adonijah? What causes a man that in his earlier days has conquered a lion not to be able in the later days of life to stamp on an adder? Can you explain to me how an old Pentecostal preacher that early in his life that my family knew lived, hallelujah, in poverty and hunger, had one pair of pants as wore out on the seats and a, and a white shirt that he washed every day so he could preach at night in it, and preach Acts 38 or hell to to live long enough to stand in a tailor-made suit with tailor-made shirts and flashy cufflinks 
and deny the importance of a preacher in our organization signing a, a, a affirmation that they believe Acts 2.38 to be the only saving message. I want to tell you there's some people that's lived too long. There's some people that has lived too long. They have forgotten the calling of their life. They have lived long enough to discredit their calling. What caused the defector and why did he fall for the lesser Adonijah? I believe one reason is because he was a man that got his eyes off God. If he would have had his eyes on God, he would have seen that God was in the middle of raising up Solomon just like he was when he raised David to the throne. Hallelujah. But friend, when we lose our God focus, hallelujah, and we start looking at everything else but God, you start looking at the human side of things, the human side of Pentecost, the human side of the preacher. Oh, yes, every one of us is born to flesh. Hallelujah. We're here for you and we're in few days and full of trouble. But I want to tell you, friend, you better keep your eyes on the miraculous side of this church. This is God's church. There's things going on around here that only God can do. Oh, yes. And God is still alive in His church. The church is not going down. The church is going up. The church is not going to be defeated. God's going to have a church. It's going to be a blood-bought church. It's going to be a virgin without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. It's time for us to be in position. Hebrews, the second chapter and the fourth verse speaks of the apostles. That God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to His own will. Hallelujah, there was the miraculous, there was the impossible taking place because they aligned themselves with God and God's will and God's focus. I'm excited about the day that we're living in. This is a day of revival. This is a day that God wants to take center stage in our church. Hallelujah. Just in the last two weeks, we've had two cases of women in our church that had incurable cancer. The doctor gave them up. Hallelujah. They went to the doctor. In both accounts, there's no sign of cancer. Everything is perfect. Everything is normal. I want to tell you, God's wanting to work for His church. God's wanting to show His glory in the church. But we've got to be focused on Him. Hallelujah. He's got to be the center of all things. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to try to hurry tonight. But I want to tell you, Joab got his eyes off God. And when he got his eyes off God, his thinking became so distorted that that he forgot his real call in life. This man that his call had been to defend God, uh, God's people, and God's man. He became a bloody butcher of some of the greatest men in Israel. He took two of the greatest captains of Israel and butchered them in front, in the very presence of the men of Israel. Hallelujah! How in the world can a man get so messed up in his mind? He deviated so far from his divine purpose because he got his eyes off God. A man that had been men of God's protector became a butcher. Hallelujah. What was his problem? I want to tell you, friend, these men that he killed were also captains. A spirit of jealousy got a hold of him. Joab was a man that his position in the kingdom became more important than the cause of the kingdom. Hallelujah. I want to tell you, every one of us is privileged to be here tonight. The preacher that's trying to preach to you tonight. Hallelujah. I'm just a blessed man to be a part of the church of the living God. God doesn't mean need me and God doesn't need anybody in this building tonight. God can do what needs to be done without any of us. We need to recognize that, hallelujah, the cause is greater than our call. Hallelujah, the cause is greater than our position. Hallelujah, I said the cause is greater than our position. Our attitude ought to be if somebody else can do a better job, bless God, let them do it. If somebody else can sing better, let them do it. If somebody else got more anointing, let them do it. If somebody else can play a musical instrument better, my God, give us the very best. Hallelujah, if somebody can teach a Bible study better, hallelujah. Hallelujah, let's get the work done. Let's keep supporting the church. We got a world that's dying and going to hell. 
I'm just going to remind everybody in this building, if you've got a position in your church, or all of us pastors, if the Lord tarries, somebody's going to take our position. Somebody's going to sit in the seat we sit in. Somebody's going to preach in the pulpit we preach in. Oh, yeah, we're going to burn out. We're going to be through with one of these days, and God's going to replace us. But I don't want to have an attitude. Hallelujah. When I feel like somebody's taking my place, that a spirit of jealousy and murder gets a hold of me. That's what happened with King Saul. Hallelujah. Instead of recognizing his mistake and humbling himself. Hallelujah. And acknowledging the anointing on King David. He made up in his mind he was going to kill God's anointed. And not only did King Saul lose his position, but he lost his crown. He lost his soul. I want to tell you, I don't want to lose my soul. I may lose my position, but I don't want to lose my soul. An ungodly spirit of competition got a hold of him. I'm going to tell you something. We're not in competition. We are not in competition. Hallelujah. I'm careful about putting anybody in position that's dying to get there. Anybody that's dying for influence. Hallelujah. I'm real careful about putting somebody like that in position. We're not in competition with each other. I want to tell you the only person I'm in competition with is myself. And that was my prayer tonight. God, let me do the best that I can do. God, please anoint me to the fullest of my ability. I want to tell you it's a terrible life to have to live when you think you've got to compete with other preachers and other people. And it ruins your day if somebody has more in Sunday school than you have and somebody has a bigger revival than you have. That's a miserable kind of life to live. It's a wonderful thing when God delivers us from that where we don't feel like we've got to compete with everybody else. Sometimes some humbling things have got to come in your life and you got to fall on your face and realize you're nothing but a piece of dirt that God's allowed you to be a part of his work. And I want to tell you something. There's not any of us that ought to get all excited and think we're something when God uses us. God can use a donkey to preach a sermon. God can use a, crew, a rooster to crow when he wants it to crow. Hallelujah. In people in life, they've got to have the fine tools of life to do the work they do. But I want to tell you, when you look at God's tool chest, he takes foolish things to bring down the wise. He takes the simple things and the weak things to bring down the mighty. He can use base things and even things that do not exist to bring them off the things that do exist. Competition turned Joab into a butcher. God help us when we take people's reputation and their ministry. I will tell you, you can hear just about anything in Pentecost. You shouldn't repeat everything you hear and very little of what you hear. And you shouldn't repeat it unless it's going to edify something or correct something. Hallelujah. Sometimes the reason for it is because of a feeling deep down inside. Because of a jealousy. Hallelujah. A jealousy. Joab's position was bigger than his convictions. You see, that was the problem. God helped the preacher that finds himself in a church that's too big for his convictions. I had a friend of mine that used to sit and weep about how that his home church had gone to television and, and worldliness until he got a big Pentecostal church in Louisiana and changed his convictions. He got too big of a church. The position was too big for his convictions. God help a saint of God that changes when they get a little authority in the church, get a little position in the church. Oh, God, I'm meddling tonight. I better hurry. Hallelujah. The tragedy of Joab is that his position was bigger than his convictions. I believe another reason why he failed is because of the time of life that Adonijah arrived. All ages are dangerous ages. We talk about the young people going through trying times, and there are perilous times 
with young people and raising them in the church. And, and we talk about old people, and I, I think there's temptations with the old. It's like the old man at the nursing home a while back. He said, pray for me, preacher. He said, the temptation is tremendous around here. Hallelujah. What kind of temptation do you have at a nursing home? Buttermilk and wheelchairs. And I'll tell you that's something. I don't know what it is, but the devil's got something at the nursing home because he never quits. I said he never quits. But the thickest wreckage of moral tragedy is found in the section of life in the mid-years. Hallelujah. When a man has pretty well secured his career and, and he's satisfied with where he's at and he's eliminated all the competition, his position is secure. Hallelujah. The bills are being paid at the church. It's not an early time when, when every, uh, there's a struggle and my God help us to pay the light bill and my God give us revival. Give me somebody to preach to. And, hallelujah. But here's a man that uh, he had proven himself over several decades as a military genius. He carried battle scars of a military career that had uh, uh, spanned several years. And, and now he had eliminated the competition. His position seems to be secure, and, and so now he relaxes. Hallelujah. Oh, God, help me to remember when I was a boy preacher, praying, God, open up a door where I can go and preach somewhere. God, give me a, a revival. Hallelujah. Lord, fill the altars up when I preach. Help me to be able to keep my eyes open and look at the crowd. Instead of being so scared, I can't open my eyes when I preach. Oh, God, I need your help. Oh, yeah, friend, time can pass, and we can become secure, and we can get to the place that we feel like we can do it by ourselves, and we don't have to have that much help from God Almighty. Hallelujah. The bills are being paid. The church is going great. Things are doing fine. Hallelujah. The sun is beginning to set in my life. And so now I don't have to pray like I used to pray. I don't have to have the convictions I used to have. I don't have to have the fast days I used to have. I don't have to be tender toward God like I used to be. I don't see myself little in my eyes any longer. I've arrived. I've got a position. I've got a reputation. Listen to me, my friend. You better be careful. There's an Adonijah that's going to knock on your door. Oh, yes, you said no. Hallelujah to Absalom. The hot-blooded temptations of early life. But, friend, the devil's never going to give up on you. That's what's happening to some Pentecostals. Like a lady just a while back that suffered in the early days of Pentecost. And I was just told that now, hallelujah, her house is full of televisions. Just bought a big screen for the living room and got a television and every bed room of her house. Raise her kids when not a television ever being under the roof of their house. But oh, what's happening to them? She's still going to church. Oh yeah, man, it's big guns. Bigger than it's ever been. The music is better than it's ever been. But God's written Ichabod across the door of the church. They have a form of godliness, but they have denied the power thereof. God's gradual waving goodbye to them and walking out of their life. They don't even realize what has happened <laughs> hallelujah hallelujah I haven't made it yet I'm telling you I'm scared tonight there's a fear in my heart I don't want to stumble I've told God I'd rather you kill me than me live long enough to be a reproach to my wife and to my children I don't want to leave a mark, hallelujah, in this world that my sons, my four boys have got to crawl over for the rest of their life because daddy started out good and ended out bad. Oh, God, don't let me live too long. Help me to maintain the glow in my life. Help me to maintain the fire of conviction in my life. Help me to press toward the prize of the high calling of God. I believe I'm preaching to some folks here tonight that you've made up in your mind. I'm in his, this for the long haul. Hallelujah, I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to go back on my roots. Hallelujah, I'm not going to go the way of worldly Pentecost. I'm going to stand by the preacher. I'm going to lift up the preacher's hands. I'm glad I'm still in an old-fashioned Pentecostal church. I'm glad we don't have to have praise dancers because we don't have any Holy Ghost shouters anymore. I'm glad we don't have to
to go some, through some kind of rigmarole. Every time we have prayer now, let's get into the travail. Let's, let's get in the spirit of travail because nobody is really travailing any longer. There's some Pentecostal churches of an old mother in Israel would fall on the floor talking in tongues and travailing in the Holy Ghost. They'd want to usher her out. They would have thought that she's lost her mind. Everything is so shallow and superficial. Hallelujah. Everything is such a work of the flesh. They wouldn't know the Holy Ghost if it walked in the front door. Oh, God, help us to hold on to this old-fashioned worship and praise and old-fashioned preaching. My God, help us to hold on to a pulpit that's unfettered where a man don't have to be afraid to open his mouth and preach what God puts in his mouth. I'm glad I don't have to tiptoe through the tulips tonight. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Sometimes the preacher has got to come to the pulpit with work clothes on. Sometimes he's got to have a grubbing hoe. Too many of us are trying to do a, a grubbing hoe job with a pair of tweezers. Hallelujah. Well, it's about time to quit. I don't want to dishonor my calling. I don't want to dishonor my roots. I don't want to dishonor my refusal of Absalom. To fall like a fool to Adonijah. Men, we've gone too far to back up. We have gone too far to back up. There's too much blood, sweat, and tears for us to back up. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah, I want us to go forward. I want us to go higher than we've ever been. We need wings in this. We want to go further than our forefathers have gone. But I'll tell you what else we need. We need roots. We need to remember our past. We need to remember where we came from. And not forget the altar. Hallelujah. 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 I feel like traveling home. This world is not my home. Hallelujah, I feel like traveling on. Let's stand and lift our hands. Let's make a commitment to God tonight. In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. Oh, in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank God for the Jeremiah's of today that starts out preaching one message and ends preaching the same message. They may go through the pit. They may be fed bread and water. I stood by the casket of an old preacher in California, Brother Buxton, that died in the faith, died in the trenches, didn't change his message, was still preaching what he preached when he started out. I want to tell you, there's a bunch of people that's not bent their knee to bail. You look out across this auditorium, and this is just a speck. There's preachers all over this country that's not going to bend. They're not going to bow. Hallelujah. They're going to be conscious. I'm going to tell you something. This is a different hour. There's a thousand doors to watch. And a preacher can't watch them all at once. We're going to need God's help. New things coming, new technology coming. You see something that seems to be harmless, and then you find out in a few days that that thing's got claws. And it's got addictions. You better be careful jumping into things that you don't know the end result of it. Hallelujah. It may come with a different dress on. It may not be in your face, hot temptation. It may be something that seems to have religious merit. Merit. But it's an Adonijah that's knocking. Hallelujah. I don't want to dishonor the calling. The best day of your life is when God called you out of darkness. You need to thank God for that. Don't you love it? Oh, let's love him tonight.
Why don't you step out of your seat and come down to the front of this church? We need to make our commitment sure. We need to tighten up some things in our lives. I know the Holy Ghost has talked to us. He spoke to some saints of God, some leaders. Maybe you're a leader in your church sitting under your pastor. The devil's trying to work a way in. Come on, let's spend some time in prayer. Let's close some doors. Let's set some locks tonight. Hallelujah. We've got a great obligation with this wonderful truth. Let's hold it high. Oh, hallelujah. Come spend some time in prayer. Oh, drive some tent stakes a little deeper. 